Grooveaholics. Welcome to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Birthed by a love of music, we're all about culture. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. If you gain value from this podcast, personally share it with a friend and explain your favorite part. Let's get groovy. Groovy.
I want to welcome everyone to the Rochester Groovecast podcast, your top source for live local regional music interviews and events from Rochester, New York, and the surrounding area. I am your host, Ben Albert, and I am here live with Dave Chisholm. How are we doing, man? I'm doing great, Ben. Uh, all things considered, I'm doing great, uh, despite the fact that the world is on fire. <laughs> the world is on fire. The election's coming up. This is going to come out on Monday officially, the election's on Tuesday. Go vote, everyone. Um, if you haven't already. Right, right. I went to visit my mom um, just a couple days ago, and she had like a whole packet of information. This is how you go vote early, blah, blah, blah. She was just so passionate about it. It actually got me excited. Good. Yeah, great, great. Um, ultimately, if anyone doesn't know Dave, he is, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe you, the way you take jazz music and composition and then the comic book caricature element you can describe it way better than me so we'll talk a little bit about that in, in a moment here but i've got a lot to learn from you i think this will be an interesting conversation and i have no expectations we we can take it wherever we want to right on man sounds great uh, what was that that track we started with paranoia let's talk a little bit about that yeah, so Paranoia is uh, a track of music that was recorded way back in 2013 and released in 2017 as part of the soundtrack to my graphic novel, Instrumental, came out that same year. Uh, and Paranoia is the soundtrack to chapter five, uh, the third to last chapter of the book. Um, and uh, it features... Let's see, Aaron Stabell on drums. He's another Rochester guy. Uh, he lives out in Brighton and is an amazing drummer. And then um, a few friends who don't live in Rochester, like Ben Thomas on bass, Noah Berman on guitar, um, Mike Conrad on piano. Let's see, is that it? Who am I forgetting? I think that's it. I think that's the group. Um, yeah, man. And um, it's a piece with a lot of like crazy chords in it and you know, some mixed meter stuff you know and it's basically one big build all the way to the end so pretty cool i love it, it it's weird it, it's jazzy it's fusion um, yeah definitely although that word fusion always makes me think of like cheesy like 1960s <laughs> like ba like bad bass tone you know but uh i hear that but, uh you know this it's definitely fusing something together that's for sure yeah, I'll tell you, I honestly don't think I could properly define the term fusion. I just say it when it's just crossing genres and I can't place where it's going. Yeah, right. It's it's kind of a it's kind of an it's kind of a catch all term like for that stuff for sure. And you mentioned it it's the soundtrack to a chapter. Let let's let's for anyone who doesn't know who you are, they might be a little bit lost. Um, it looks yeah. like you're probably going to grab one of the comics yeah, now. Yeah, so I've got some books um, here. So, uh, graphic novels, right? Yeah, graphic novels. So I did this book, Instrumental, and, uh, and, the, and the book has a soundtrack of music that goes with it. So it's like a couple hundred pages long. It's about a trumpet player who comes across this old trumpet that makes the most amazing music, but every time he plays it, somebody dies and bad things happen. And that's the chapter, or that's the soundtrack to uh, this particular chapter called Par Paranoia. 
where the main character kind of like starts to like sink down, you know, into like a little bit of a dark, dark place. Um, and so, yeah, like, I guess this is a good way to kind of talk about my weird career careers. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Rochester to get my doctorate in at Eastman from in jazz trumpet. And I've always been a huge fan of comics and in particular making comics and drawing comics and writing comics. And um, so these two worlds, I inhabit music, several different types of music, and then, and then making comics and um, instrumental came out in 2017. I got my degree in 2013 and instrumental came out in 2017. And uh, it, it's led to some more opportunities and it's, and it really feels like um, I'm getting a lot of really cool opportunities in the comics world uh, right uh, right now. And so, you know, it's got to strike while the iron is hot and everything. So my, so, you know, my, my day-to-day life is kind of split between teaching music via zoom and then, and then making, making comics. Uh, and, um, and I'll sit on my porch and play some guitar and sing some songs when the weather's nice enough for that. Uh, and so, and then I, you know, practice some trumpet when I, I should probably practice a little more trumpet. I think my, my chops have probably have probably lost some of their edge uh, because of the lack of gig opportunities because of COVID-19, but right. um, hopefully there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah. Uh, and, and I want to go back to the comments, but you mentioned zoom. What's the, is there been a big difference? Any struggles having to move to you, are you completely teaching on Zoom for an entire class? How does that work? Yeah, so I, I, uh, most of my teaching by like volume is through Hochstein, uh, the Hochstein School, which is downtown Rochester, community like a community music school. And um, most of my teaching at Hochstein is um, our private students. And so I have a number of songwriting students and composition students and a couple of trumpet students. Um, and so the songwriting students, for the most part, like, and I, have, and I also teach a couple of rock bands at Hochstein. And that's been really interesting via Zoom because we can't rehearse via Zoom. So we've been treating it like studio rock band where okay. each student records a part to a song and we put it together piecemeal that way. Um, and it's been pretty fun, uh, although it's been a little bit touch and go because if one student gets busy, it kind of holds up the whole and the whole machine. Hmm. And for the most part, my teaching has been really good uh, through, through Hawkstein via zoom. Um, I know a lot of teachers have really struggled, but I think the nature of the stuff that I teach already has a technological bent bent to it anyway, for the most part. And so, uh, I think it's been going pretty well. Uh, I also teach at RIT. Uh, I teach a class called, of all, I mean, appropriately it's called comics and music. Mm-hmm. And it's a class that explores creatively the intersection of comics and music with a, a special, with um, an emphasis on formal aspects of both comics and music and kind of trying to find ways that we can create comics that echo music with regards to form. Um, so it's been fun. It, it's my second semester teaching the class and it, I would say it's been a very successful, very fun class. That's incredible. So did they start that class? Basically, did you spearhead that? Yeah. 
It seems yeah. like such a unique topic that's like unique to Dave. I don't know many people, if hardly any, that does exactly what you do. Yeah, it's um basically uh, I was contacted a couple years ago by uh, Daniel Warden, who is in the School of Individualized Studies at RIT, and that's where the um, a number of comics classes are. And Daniel is a, a scholar in like the comics world and t- and teaches several classes about history of comics and various like inner workings of comics stuff. And um, he approached me and kind of like asked if I wanted to brainstorm a few class ideas. And this was the, this was the one class that I was like, well, this one, we have to do this one. This ha- this class has to happen as soon as possible, comics and music. Um, and so that was my priority. And hopefully at some point I can once again, once we're out of this tunnel, I'll have the opportunity to uh, expand what I teach in that, in that department, in that school to, to other kind of comics and music related topics. But, um, you know, that's, that's for, that's just in all in due time, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm being optimistic when I'm thinking, you know, at the end of the tunnel, think about the skill sets oh, yeah. and the different, you know, just navigating socially and using technology, give people an opportunity to get in person again, even at a smaller capacity at a time. Um, you're going to have some chops in the, the teaching realm. The one thing that's got to be struggling, though, is not being able to play music live. So those chops are the one thing that that's hard to yeah, keep and, up to date. And admittedly, like I've taken a, a stance of like extreme caution, sure. probably more than some of my like peers as in, in like as musicians go. Um, I've like really I, I've really taken a stance of like extreme caution and I've like, you know, had very little like you know, face to face time with anyone who doesn't like live in the house, like with my wife or me, basically it's just been the two of us. Um, cause I feel like it's kind of my, if I have the, if my, if I'm privileged enough to be able to work from home and stay home and get everything I need at home, then I need to take advantage of that and just do my part to limit the spread of this stupid, you know, virus. And, um, so that's my, that's my stance. It's just, yeah, I'm lucky. I, I consider myself lucky and to, to be able to do this. So. Yeah. A lot of people say that if we had just completely quarantined right at the front, it wouldn't have gotten this bad. So, you know, I commend your decision to be like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this spread, even if it's accidental or incidental. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just, a. it feels like, it feels like, uh, not, not to, to shame anybody else but you know it just feels like to me that it was the right decision the right decision for the right thing to do so how's that affected your creative process because you're obviously a creatively driven person um have you been has the content been coming out of you have you been drawing more have you been writing more did it stunt you a little bit um we're Uh, all trying not to go crazy right now you know yeah uh you know I'm a, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm like a kind of introverted, introverted person. I'm like an introvert who still likes 
attention. You know what I mean? So it's like this funny spot, but like I really get recharged when I'm, when I'm by myself. And so um, it's been a really creatively fertile time for me. And for me, like creativity has always been how I deal with stress and problems and things that are out of my control, you know? And so um, I've had a really, it's been a really, really good stretch for me creatively, to be honest with you. Um, And right now, most of my creative output is comics. Mm -hmm. Although we're going to listen to a track that is another project that I've been kind of low key spearheading uh, in quarantine with a, with a, with a friend of mine. So, um, so yeah, man. Yeah. We, we have a ton to talk about, but that was a great preface. Why don't we just dive right into it? What's this track, uh, the track you're talking well, about the radio head one. Yeah, man. So, so basically like, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I'm like a huge, you know, Mark for Radiohead. Like I'm a huge fan of this band. I think that they're just like the best band. I not ashamed to say that, I guess. Why would anyone be ashamed? I don't know, whatever. And so, um, and so I just kind of like thought on a whim, like, Hey, I'm just going to record a version of the Radiohead song let down with like the, in, like at home, just totally at home, like mm-hmm. in this, in this room, actually literally in this room. And, um, and I got to the point where it was like basically done. And I had like robot drums on it, like fake drums. And I was like, man, I really want some real drums. So I called up my, my friend Matt Bevan Perkins, another Rochester guy who I know has been like recording a lot of drums lately. And I was like, Hey, do you want to put some drums down on this? And he, and he recorded drums and we were so happy with the process. We were so happy with the result that we were like, let's just do the whole okay computer album. And so we have like three tracks, two, three tracks left to record, including um, that includes fitter happier. So we still, the one that's just a robot voice for the whole time, you know? Um, and so, so we're almost done with this and we started it maybe five weeks ago. And so it's been really fun putting this thing together, man. Uh, and I, so I can't wait to share this. I'm really happy with the way this first track turned out let down. Has the, has the world heard it before? Yeah. I mean, I released it as like a single or whatever, but it's really like, I don't, I'm not that good at promoting music. I'm not the, the that great at promoting music. So I, I doubt many people have clicked through to listen to it. I'm just stoked about it. This is something like, this is a total like pe- passion project for me. That's like totally ridiculous and super fun. So I'm really excited about it. No, I'm excited to listen to it. And one thing, maybe it's just me trying to be nice to myself, but I like to think, it doesn't matter if 500 people listen, 5,000 people, 5 million. If I can affect one person, yeah. if there's a single person in listening to the show and you, we blow their mind, Yeah, that's that. perfect. That being said, though, it would be great to blow everybody's mind. So yeah. everybody listen to the show. Continue to check out Dave. Let's listen to Let Down. Here we go. Radio right. head cover.
I love that, Dave. I like what you guys did there. Yeah, you're on mute. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. Yeah, thanks. It was, uh, like I said, it was done on such a whim. It was like mm-hmm. just one day of like me just goofing around and like putting that together and then coming out on the other end and being like, wow, this sounds really, I really like this. You know, I really like the way this sounds. Obviously, like it's a, it's a pretty faithful arrangement of like the Radiohead track, except for during the bridge. I just like improvised a lot of stuff on trumpet, you know, over the mm-hmm. top of that bridge section. But anyway, yeah, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for, Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, it's a good mood setter. I love it. And you know, we started talking about the comic books combined with the music. I don't think we peeled back enough layers on the the onion because I think what you do is very cool. I don't know if people understand exactly. So you're writing entire graphic novel and then the album is a soundtrack. Explain this to us uh, exactly what you do, you know, with with that original yeah. album and yeah. Um, so that one instrumental mm-hmm. was just this crazy idea that I had, this like wild idea to like make a just tell a story in a graphic novel form, and then do an, an album of original music. So each chapter has a track of music that goes with it, and um, you know my. I guess my uh, expertise and experience in both music and comics have sort of like led me down this like niche of like doing music related comics. Um, Earlier this year, I I had a book published that wasn't music related called Canopus. It's like a sci-fi story um, that I was really happy with. Um, And basically like within a month after finishing drawing that story, I was contacted and um, asked to pitch a graphic novel idea in celebration of Charlie Parker, the saxophonist's 100th birthday, which, which is in 2020, was in August of 2020. And so that, that led to the next music-related book, and it's the same publisher as Instrumental. So, uh, that, of course, the Charlie Parker one, the soundtrack already exists. You know, it's Charlie Parker. He's like this infamous and famous jazz figure who uh, was kind of a tragic hero in, in jazz lore, died quite young, lived a very hard and fast life. Um, and so I was, and so I pitched this, a story idea for that and I got the gig and I just kind of disappeared into my, into my den, my like cave here, like my den here and, mm-hmm. and uh, just put in like, you know, several months of like hard work writing and drawing that book and it's coming out really soon. It's, it was actually supposed to be out already, but um, mm. thanks again to COVID, the the you know the ever present like you know ghost that's around us all the time right now. Um, the book hasn't quite come out yet. I think it's set to come out in mid November at this point. But I do have a copy of it here that I can show you if you want to see the video of the people who are. Yeah. Um, Totally. The deluxe edition of the book, Chasing. Is that, a, is that a hardcover? This is it's in a slipcase and everything, man. Oh. And so uh it's it's enormous. It's like like bigger than my head. Uh and it's this really beautiful, wow. beautiful book. It's got this great like fly leaf of like all these little Charlie Parker drawings that I did. And um 
and I couldn't be happier with the way this printed, man. It's like, it looks amazing. Here's that page that you just had open. Yeah. And it looks, it's just so great. And I just, I'm like so eager for everyone to get this book. This is like the coolest. I'm like so thrilled with the way this book turned out. Chasing and, the bird. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you can still pre-order it right now. It, it's, um, you can get it through the publisher, the publisher's website, the publisher's Z2 comics. Uh, and you can also get it on Amazon or any other like bookseller, uh, you know, Amazon, don't use Amazon. It's kind of square, you know. We all use it. We all use Amazon, but, like, if you can get it from an independent bookseller or something a little bit less evil and monolithic, then get it somewhere else. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it turned out so good. I can't. I just can't wait for everyone to, to read this thing. Um, I really think people are going to, like, I, I, this is totally the, the best book um, I've ever done, I think, and I can't wait for people to check it out. So it looks incredible just from the the glimpse of the, the presentation of it and the the few photos you just showed. It goes without saying, anyone who's here on Facebook Live, this seems silly, but all my listeners that only listen to the podcast. Come to the Facebook Lives every Wednesday night, Rochester Groovecast, or go and watch that video so you can see some of these visuals Dave's showing you here, showing us here. Um, and man, like I, I'd love to get something like that in my hands. It, it, I did notice when COVID hit. You know, I'm not an avid reader, but I'm a consistent reader. I read on a daily basis, but I'm not like a book a day, book a week kind of guy. It's I'm amazed when people are. Yeah, me too, man. Do do you do you see you know like reading and comic books and this kind of form growing? I mean, have you you know thought about or addressed it? Everybody's kind of cooped up at home. I feel like there's no better time to toss on a soundtrack and have a visual experience and kind of replace that live experience with the visual realm. You know, in the courtesy of your own home. Yeah. Um. You know, I think that that uh, there was a there was a uh, some article that came out recently that the, the 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 total market in book sales and comic sales has gone up is continues to go up, which is super awesome. But a huge part of it is like um, young adult graphic novels are like super huge sellers right now. Um, and like manga, like Japanese comics that are translated and sold here are also huge sellers. So like the market has gone sort of like this, if this is like the comic book market, like the typical comics that you think of when like spinner rack at like seven 11 comic books. Mm. And these are graphic novels at bookstores. It's kind of done this. And now it's like here in terms of sales and everything. Uh, it's fascinating and the publishers who are pivoting, I think, are doing really well. Mm. So, for example, the publisher that put out Instrumental and Chasing the Bird, like, they've pivoted to only doing basically, like, music-related books. Um, and they, like, have uh, – it's been, like, 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 Instrumental was one of their first music-related books. And at the, during that year, I think they maybe put out, like, five or six books or something like that, maybe 10 books that year. This, 
in the next calendar year, they're putting out something like 70 books. It's crazy. It's awesome. Like it's super cool. And so like they're, they're like being, I think being strategic about their presence in like in the comics world. And um, anyway, I don't want to get too much inside baseball with comics here. I mean, Mm -hmm. then I can feel people like not listening to what I'm saying because it's so boring, but, (laughs) but yeah, man, like, um, I'm, I'm just lucky that I get to do this every day. It's like, just like the best man. And so it's so fun. Did you ever plan on that? You know, uh, a lot of people, they have the cliches. They want to be an athlete. Maybe they want to be a musician. They want to be a doctor. They want to be a lawyer. They want to be a fireman. Did you ever, did you have moments in your life where you're like, this is my vision. This is what I loved it. Did it kind of fall into place? You're kind of in a niche world that, you know, without a mentor or someone pointing you in that direction, it's definitely uncommon um, that people build the skill set that you've built. Um, I'm kind of wondering what the the timetable was, um, whether it was short or long and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, that's a good, that's a good question. And I think that like, if it's not clear, I think I have like a very weird combination, like, uh, in terms of my personality, like, like I somehow have like an attention span that is always kind of wandering around and, but I'm also like a fast, like a pretty fast learner. And, um, and also I somehow have really, I have good follow through when I start a project, I like finish it. Right. So I think those things in combination have made it so that like, even growing up, my obsession would change like every couple of weeks. So like, I'd be obsessed with like Legos and then I'd be obsessed with comics and then I'd be obsessed with like music and then I'd be obsessed with movies. And then it would kind of like cycle through these big you know, science and paleontology and dinosaurs and this and that. And, um, and so like, I've always like, and like I said, I've always really been bouncing back and forth between music and then bouncing inside music between different genres. And then comics is like a bigger world that I bounce between these, all of these things as an adult. Right. And I think like when I was in my twenties, I, someone asked me like, well, what do you like want to do for like your career? And I remember like, I was a, I was like a real jerk. You know, I was like a real, like kind of like snarky kid, right? 20 in my twenties or whatever. And I said, I just want to be able to do whatever I want to do, whatever that is and be good enough at it to get paid to do it because I knew that I liked doing a lot of different things and I don't, I didn't want any of those things to go away. Right. Um, and so somehow I've fallen backwards into the life of basically that life where I can make some music and I can make some comics and I can teach these things. And I do like teaching too, uh, quite a bit. And, and as, and I can make, I can like make enough money to put to, to survive and do okay um, doing the things that I love. And I think I've just been really, you know, I can't deny that I've been really fortunate. I have like parents who have been supportive, um, who, who have been supportive, like in every possible way. 
and um, I've had like the luxury of having the time necessary to pursue my obsessions and, and the kind of proclivity personality and sort of like awareness of like my learning style to follow through on those obsessions and pursue them until I was like basically working in those profession, those obsessions at like a professional level, whatever professional even really means. I mean, you know, like that sure. in the world, in the realms of music and comics, professional isn't necessarily a, a like a decider of quality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. So anyway, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm just lucky. I think, I think I'm just lucky, a lucky co- combination of these weird uh, personality traits, you know? And it's definitely still a lot of work, right? Like it's not easy. It's not like you just woke up one day and had all this uh, talent and ambition to do all these things. That's one thing that I find is a misconception that it's important to be following your passions and have multiple things you're working on. Um, but I, I'm under the impression you grind. I mean, you're working on this hours on end, I imagine, right? Yeah, for sure, man. I, I kind of like, this is sort of a, the most like, I don't know, f- probably a frustrating thing to complain about. Right. But, <laughs> but, but the thing that like kind of irks me is when people, um, I can just, I know this is going to sound really annoying and pretentious and stuff, but like when people get really, really hung up on, on talent, this concept of talent, like it's in, like it's somehow you're born, you're born with it. Right. When you say someone like LeBron James is talented, it completely discredits the the like tens of thousands of hours that dude has grinded it out in the gym. He was the first one there every day and the last one gone every day. Like he's the dude grinds it out, the dude works so hard and is so such a smart basketball player and so on and so forth, right? And I've and I've told people like if I have any talent, my my talent is knowing is having a real curiosity and an insight into how I learn things. So like hacking my own, like I hate to use the hacking metaphor because it's overused, but I'll just use it anyway. Like hacking my own, my own like learning so that I can like learn things quickly and not have to like, and and be really directed with my learning. So if I want to learn a new instrument or whatever, I, I'm not like just treading water for a long time. And also like, I'm also patient enough to recognize that I'm going to be bad and bad at it for a while. And maybe that maybe like I not to like toot my own horn too much, but like I'm fearless enough to, to not let that stop me from doing it. Right. Um, And recognizing that like when you're dealing with the realms of music and art, these subjective realms, everything's low risk. You know what I mean? Everything is low risk. Like if I want to try a new technique on a comic book page and I totally ruin the page, man, I maybe just lost like two hours, four hours of time. That's it. Who cares? That's like, who cares? In the grand scheme of things, it it doesn't matter. Um, And so I'm going to try new stuff. I'm going to, and it's going to work most of the time. And you just have, and like that kind of understanding that like, it's low risk. It's fine. I'm not a surgeon trying new things on like, (laughs) you know, a brain surgery. Like, let's see what happens if I snip this part of their brain. No, man, that would be stupid. 
but I'm a musician. I'm a, and I'm an artist and not a storyteller. And it's, I want to take risks in that. So yeah, I mean, it's a funny conversation. I, I almost was going to make the argument that, and I still could that ultimately that mentality is good in almost any pers- profession, any position whatsoever. I mean, you're a business person. You want to take risks. You want to do things differently. You might embarrass yourself in front of a big client. They're either going to love you or love you or hate you. You move on to the next one, so on and so forth. But then you bring up the surgeon example. There are certain situations where you need to be so fine tuned. Right. Um, quite, you know, quite similar to let's say you're playing a you know big live show the biggest show you've ever played you want to be as fine-tuned as possible but there's no reason why behind the scenes you can't be dabbling kind of like a mad scientist trying different things yeah and you know man i would even say that like who you're playing a big show take risks take take risks do it put it out there you know like i look at like someone like miles davis and miles davis was always fearless he in every thing he did in that regard, you know, like he wasn't a super nice person, apparently, you know, like, so we, I don't want to look up to him in any regard other than the fact that he was a fear, fearless as an artist, you know, um, or even like, you know, like Radiohead, I feel the same way about Radiohead. They, they're, um, total integrity, total fearlessness, just following their, like art, like making work that is, just totally authentic to them. Um, and I really ad- admire that fearlessness, risk-taking and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, man, that's, um, I try to bring that, that like, you know, uh, authenticity or now nah, I don't know if that's the right word, but mm-hmm. I can't think of anything, anything else right now, that kind of level of like, if I, if I'm not like all in on it, I have to figure out a way to make it so that I'm all in on it. I have to find a way to make it to some part of my process needs to be tweaked. And usually that involves me sort of like bringing a little bit of like experimentation to the process. I'm a jazz musician, I guess, really at heart. You know, I want to improvise. I want to find those cracks where I can kind of like find the magical, the happy accidents, you know, Bob Ross style and stuff like that. No, I think that's tremendously admirable. At the end of the day, I mean, you're not going to please everyone. That's and right. it would be pretty darn boring if you could. I mean, um, I, I'm curious as kind of like a think tank thought experiment. Let's say a genie comes and grants you three creative wishes um, where you can, you know, embody just the skill set or the demeanor or the talent or the chops or the artistic um, fine tuning. Ultimately, you can embody any three creatives. You know, they can be a comic book guy, they can be a, a, a songwriter. Um, who would you ultimately, and I, and I want you to still be you, which makes it even more of a think tank. Like yeah. uh, everybody wants to just suddenly play like Jimi Hendrix just for the fun of it. But if you could take, you know, any three creatives and kind of bring that into what you currently do, does anyone come to mind? Well, it's a, that, that's such a big question, man. Uh, that's, why, that's why I rambled a little bit. I wanted to give you a little more time to think. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, Even if it's just anyone you look up to, I mean, where, where did you get this motivation from? Yeah. Well, I mean like, like, um, I, I, I grew up in a house where we, my, where we really looked up to like artists and the arts and stuff like that. And, and my parents are huge music fans. Um, it's hard to say, you know, like it's a really hard question to answer. I suppose the first name that comes to mind is, is kind of a cliche one for comic people. And I just would love to live inside Alan Moore's mind for a little while, just to see where, how those ideas form for his, for his works, you know, or even just living inside of Alan Moore's mind for like the decade between like 1984 and 1994, just to see like what is going on in his head during that stretch of time. Cause he put out so much brilliant work or maybe even like 1980 to 1990, you know, he, his real career defining work was done in that decade and it's pretty undeniable. Uh, but really like that. So that dude's mind fascinates me. Um, I suppose to be strategic with this answer, I would want to find someone whose process is really different from mine and whose art is really different from mine to try who I really love still. So I would love to get inside of, um, I would love to get the, the perspective of like Fiona Apple as a songwriter and as a singer, because, well, she's just phenomenal and her work is incredible. But when I listen to her songwriting choices that she makes as a songwriter, I'm always kind of blown away because it manages to always, it always manages to surprise me in some way. And so um, I think I would learn a lot if I could just sit down and like discuss songwriting, discuss chords, discuss lyrics and, and kind of like, melodic choices and these kind of real nitty gritty like nuts and bolts elements of songwriting um so that is maybe my second answer and then you know the third one would have to be like um ah so it's so tough there's this uh it's hard because there's like two lines of thought so if i choose a musician it would be like J.S. Bach, right? Because um, his music is the most incredible music ever written. And, like, it's hard to fathom how someone could be so on point for such a long time without really being recognized in his lifetime as the master that he was. And, like, so where did that come from? How did he get there? What's going on in his brain? And then in terms of art, like, in a practical sense, it would be nice to have to address my weaknesses to have someone an, an artist get inside an artist's brain who's a real master of like dimension capturing like the full volume of an object right so i know it's like such a corny thing but there's a comic artist um maybe i shouldn't choose a comic artist but i'm going to because this is like my strike zone and there's a comic artist who's a scottish guy named frank quietly that's his like pen name frank quietly hmm. and and his work to me is like the pinnacle like of comic storytelling and having a real sense of dimension and three-dimensional space in every, on every page that he puts out there. And it's like, 
it blows my mind. Every time I get a new Frank Quietly book, I'm like, just, it's like a master class. So uh, I would love to, to gronk his skill set, you know, it's, a, so that's, I guess those are my four answers. I know you said three, but I gave you four. Four is perfect. I, I love it. Uh, I almost feel like, so I'm a beginner. Uh, I'll just say that straight out. I'd love to sit down and have you show me some of these artists and um, dive a little deeper into their skill set because it sounds like an incredible bunch. You take a little bit of this element and a little bit of this and fine tune your own. Um, Cause we're always moving forward, right? We're always growing. We're always getting better. It's not always easy. Um, what does your process look like? Do you find the music comes first? Does the, the art and drawing come first? What's it look like when you're, you know, you're out of class, you're relaxing, you're in your space and just creating. Well, um, I don't relax well. <laughs> yeah, the fact that's the first thing is like, sure. I, I'm lucky. Like both my wife and I are like, we're not great at relaxing, and I wouldn't say that it's like we're, that we're workaholics, but we're just like we want to be busy with things that matter. So it's not quite the same as just being busy, but being busy with things that matter. Um, and for me, it it, it all depends on where my attention is. So, and it, and, and what the gig, what the gig is really, what the, what the project is, what, and what we're, so like when I'm working on the, the okay computer cover album project, that's all about like really, really learning that music, every part of that music and then deconstructing it and saying like, what can I do with these parts? And then reconstructing it in a way that like is still true to that. So it's like a, so that's one kind of part of the process for that. If I'm working on a comic page, if I'm drawing, it's entirely about telling a story. So it's 100% about like, what's the, what's the best way to tell this story? How many panels do I need to tell this story? How many pages do I need? When you get to each individual panel, like where do you put the camera? Where do you crop the picture? Um, you know, just all these real nuts and bolts kind of picture, kind of, kind of things. And then, and then I think the key for all of it is once you decide, then you decide. Like once you decide what it's going to be, then you move forward and you don't get stuck in that like loop of like that safe loop of never deciding. I, I learned way back, you know, writing is rewriting and you just continue to edit, continue to rewrite. You're almost saying the opposite in a sense that you need to assert that this is good enough, it's done, and move on. Um, is there a balance between the two? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say that, like, um, I would say that, like, maybe, maybe instead of saying writing is rewriting, I would say, like, procrastinate smartly. So like procrastinating is definitely part of the process. And by procrastinating, I mean like you, so you find a, the first solution in your head to a problem. Don't just go for that solution, sit on it and sleep on it and let your kind of like the genius that lives in the back of your head that only comes out when you shut up the front of your head, let that genius work a little bit, right? Set your alarm an hour before you need to get up 
and then snooze for an hour and you'll think of the solution in that time, right? It sounds completely, you know, bonkers to say that, but like you have to kind of trust that intuitive part of your mind as well. Um, so procrastinate. And then when you decide, you decide and then only change it. If, if, uh, give yourself enough time to get to distance yourself from it. And then when you look at it a little bit later, you can do like a round of edits or if your client is like, Hey, this, you need to edit this, you know, cause that's a different thing. That's like more of a professional concern than, than, um, this like highfalutin artist stuff, you know? So, so yeah. I find it interesting. I, I always wonder if, you know, someone with a different personality type would have a, a different look. I, I'm kind of with you in, in the fact that I'm not going to get into all the things I'm juggling right now, but I'm always juggling way too many things at once. And it's in those moments of relaxation, peace, procrastination. I'm taking Thursday through Monday off and I'm going out in the mountains or something. I have so much more clarity in sometimes an hour than yep. a week of trying to find the answer to something or trying to perfect it. So sometimes just walking away, not even thinking about it. And uh, I don't know if it's fate, cosmos, I, I can't explain no. it, but it just comes to you. I think the real deal is that you're still thinking about it, but it's that part of your brain that like you're not in control of is thinking about it. So, you know, I don't, there's, I'm sure there's no actual science to what I'm saying. First off, when I talk about your brain, I really just mean like your awareness, right? right. And, your focus. and like when you really focus on a problem and you like bang your head against the wall for like two hours trying to figure something out and you can't figure it out and you walk away exasperated, the, there's still part of your awareness that's like grinding it out, even though you're like watching Mythbusters or whatever, you know? Um, and so, and you just have to let that part of your brain grind it out to see if it can figure it out. And my, from my experience, it always, it, it never, it never lets me down. You know, it always works. Um, you know, and, and sometimes if sometimes you can help nudge it along and in some other ways and everything, but, but yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, I'm sure there are other people who work different ways. You know what I mean? Um, this is the way that works for me. From my experience, when I meet people who are – the big the big pitfall for, like, skilled, creative people, the big pitfall they always fall in is the editing trap, though, where they're just stuck in a loop of editing. And sometimes I think that that's – I do think that it's, like, a safe place because then they never have to put their work out in the world – for everyone to laugh at, you know what I mean? Um, like the, like that Radiohead track, I put, I put it out like a week ago and like, I haven't gotten any feedback from any of my friends about it. Like nobody's been like, Oh, I love this. This is so cool. But you know what? Like, yeah, whatever you put it out. That's it. You, it's fine. It's, it's fine. I'm going to keep pushing forward with that. It's a pretty, all things considered, it's a pretty, small investment on my part. It's not a lot. Of, it's not a really expensive project. It's just like a hell of a lot of fun and my heart's in it. And I, I, I'm happy with the results, you know? So, 
You, um, got, you got me thinking with that. It's, I mean, there's always the fear of rejection. Like they're not going to like it. It's not ready yet. It's not perfect. I'm going to receive criticism. I almost feel like sometimes there's even a fear of lack of affirmation as in you put it out and everyone's not like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And you put so much time into it that you feel like it's the greatest thing you've ever done because you were so invested in it and you put it out to the world and it's either maybe not the best work or just doesn't reach the audience you expected. And it's none of it was bad, but it's like a lack of affirmation could almost scare someone and, and just the continuing of editing it and editing it and editing it um, is kind of a release to try to avoid that. But I feel like as soon as you do release it, that lack of affirmation or that fear of failure has got to be worse. Yeah, man. I mean, look, and, and, and I've, I suppose at this point I've had enough, it's a mind game, man. It's a mind game, you know? So like you have to kind of like figure out what the goalpost is for success to you and then be like honest with that. And, and then, and be honest with your, with why you're doing what you're doing. Like I, I've put, I'm putting these Radiohead songs together here at my house and having the most fun, right? It's so fun to do this. I'm drawing these comics and having a total blast. And if the process itself isn't giving you joy and you only want that affirmation, maybe it's not the right thing for you. Not you, you, not you, you, but like, I, I understand whoever, whoever for whoever. Right. Like, um, and so, but it can still hurt if you put something out and, and, and it does and no, it's like no one even, nobody cares, you know, but, but uh, you just have to kind of like move on and just do move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, you know, keep, keep, keep grinding it out, I guess, you know. I hear you. I mean, there's a, a silent majority that loves it and doesn't say much. And it's just that one outlier who honestly might just hate themselves that start <laughs> shit talking and it's it, that you lose sleep over it. But right, right. Um, I, let's, let's talk about this track. Only the strong will survive. Let's preface it and listen to it. So, uh, this track is, a uh, is a track by my, like my singer songwriter project called talking underwater. And, um, this track was, I wrote this song during a really, like kind of kind of dark time in my life. Um, so it's kind of a depressing track, but it's, but I'm really happy with the way it turned out. And um, it features a lot of like cello on it mm. played by my wife, Elise and everything else on the track is performed by me. Um, and it's got a great build in it. It's got a nice build. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, yeah, let's just give it a listen, man. Some singer-songwriter stuff. Awesome. Yeah, let's give it a listen. Only the strong will survive.
Rochester Groovecast podcast. Head over to Facebook, like Rochester Groovecast, and mark our page as C first to keep in touch with everything new. Now back to the show. Wow. To be honest, I didn't expect that. It's so much different than the jazz <laughs> music. And speaking of you know vulnerability a moment ago, 
talk about a song that that's willing to be vulnerable. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, uh, you know, like I said, my my uh, focus kind of wanders a little bit, and so during that time, I was like listening to a lot of like indie folk kind of stuff, you know, and um, kind of putting that whole album is is in that kind of sound in that sound. Although that's probably the most like, like raw acoustic kind of sounding tracks so of on that particular record. There's a bit more electric guitar and s- stuff um, on that one, but, but yeah. Uh, thanks man. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm happy to share that one for sure. It, it's fun. I'm, I meet it as a compliment. It's not just a cliche, but reminds me of, a band like Mumford and Sons. Hey, thanks, man. I, I'll, I, I'll take that. It's uh, I like the style, man. I like the style. So you, you're crossing genres all the time from jazz that is in fusion, but is just weird and obscure to you know a folk indie rock vibe to you know covering Radiohead. Yeah, like what else have you done, man? You got a lot of inspirations. Yeah, like uh, one of the tracks that I sent you that we're not going to listen to because of time, because my tracks tend to be a little too long, is is a track for like jazz big band. So I've written a lot of music for jazz big band as well. Um, that's kind of like has, is another zone where I just became really obsessed. Although that's a the, putting that music together is so time consuming and so expensive to record. You know, like eighteen musicians and stuff like that. Oh wow. Uh, but my first so my first album released under my name is a jazz big band record where all of the tracks are inspired by specific like comic book characters and stuff like that. Um, it's called Radioactive. It's a pretty cool record. That's awesome. I, I love it. And what what's coming up in the future? So you've got the book coming out. What well, what was the name of that graphic novel again? Let's let's talk yeah, about that again. It's called Chasing the Bird. Chasing the bird. Can we get another sneak peek of the insides? Sure, man. <laughs> Happy to share, dude. Um, is it is it a novel? Like it? It's it about. Us. It's like six vignettes about saxophonist Charlie Parker's light uh, time in California, which is like two years, and um, his various hijinks. And so each in each vignette is told with a different visual style Mm. um so here's a page here's a page that was in like city paper this big page it's very great so there's charlie playing and you see this bird flying all around you see that bird the bird yeah and uh that's a sequence towards the end of the book man and um that sequence, I'm really happy with that one, man. I can't wait for everyone to read it. I don't want to spoil anything, you know? Uh, right. And it really kind of like, the the kind of conceit for this book is that Charlie Parker is known as much for like the legend of Charlie Parker as much as the reality of Charlie Parker. Like he's this legendary, legendary like monolithic figure. And I really wanted the book to examine this person from several points of view 
to kind of explore this like intersection of legend and reality. Um, yeah. So I'm like, I can't wait, man. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, man. And then I'm working on another graphic novel project right now, but I can't, unfortunately I can't talk about it yet. Um, I'm going to be getting a contract for it in the next like day or two. So I'm, it's really exciting. It's another, like, it's another kind of like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be awesome, man. I really can't wait for this one. I've, I've, I've gotten a few pages done for it and they look like it's going to be the best looking, it's going to be the best looking book that, that I've done. So, wow. Um, yeah. I guess everybody follow Dave so they can be there when, when you release some information on that. That's cool. Thanks dude. Yeah. Follow me around. <laughs> so what, what was I going to ask you? I mean, there's a million things we could talk about. Um, oh yeah. I was curious, just the business side of things. How are you landing these deals and these relationships with publishers? Did you just dis get discovered one day or submit your publications? How did that begin and kind of brought you to where you are now with lots of commissions coming in? Um, basically like when I did instrumental, I pitched it around to a bunch of publishers and this, this publisher Z2 expressed interest in it back in 2013 when I did the work, right. They were like, I, I met the publisher Josh at New York comic con in, tw in 2013 and they were interested and they said they were going to put it out. And then they had like, unfortunately had like the bottom fallout of the, of the business for like, and it almost went under and they were like swooped. Someone swooped in and basically saved the business. They kind of like re-examined their business model and pivoted to doing basically like music related books. And during that, those four years after I finished the book and before it came out, it was really hard, man. I really, it was a really difficult time because I was like, just wanted to come out. But I, but you know what? I never, I never held it against the publisher. I never, I, I would never like express outrage to them over that stretch of time. And, and Josh during that time, like said, Hey, I, if we get this back together, I'm going to put your book out for sure. And they got it back together and put it out. And then, you know, if there is one thing that I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty comfortable like reaching out to like my heroes in the comics world and the comics world is like small enough that you can there, you can really reach out and get in touch with a lot of like people who are like big, bigger names and like the comics world. And I, I'm happy always sharing my stuff with people who are my heroes and trying to like make stuff happen. And, um, something about my work caught on and, and has led to this additional work. You know, it's definitely the connection with Z2 has gotten me that got me the Charlie Parker book. The sci-fi book that I did earlier this year was with a different publisher called scout comics. And they're, I think they're based primarily out of Florida. Um, and, with those guys, it was a cold submission. I just pitched my project to them. I had never met them or anything and they were, and they believed in it enough to put it out. So that's how that worked out. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm really happy with that series as well. That one is, um, you know, obviously very different from the Charlie Parker book. 
Uh, so yeah, man. That's that's great feedback. Just simply not having the fear to reaching out and pitching the idea and and just ultimately planting seeds in people's heads and and eventually read, meeting the right people and and letting those seeds grow. It, it, a lot of people are afraid to even ask the question. You know, it, it sounds like you actually took a lot of effort to reach out to people you look up to and and make sure it got done. And, and you know, there's this thing that happens like. I think that it's a matter of also like really refining what you do, whatever your, whatever your art is to the point where you, where the art stands for itself. Right. There's this, cause there's this thing that happens when like, when you share a song or you share a comic or art or whatever, and someone's looking through it and you feel the need to say, Oh, this, this page, it's kind of weird. Skip this page or that. Uh, yeah. I hate the way that note sounds on that song. I hate the way I sang that word and those little things that like stick with you and make it. So you feel the need to interject and apologize almost for what you've done. Right. And I think that the, for me that I need to trust that voice and continue to refine my work. If I ever feel the need to say like, Oh, you know, the color here isn't really, that's, that's not what it's really going to look like or whatever that, whatever that is, I, that I have to listen to that voice and then go back and do the opposite of what I said to do and edit, you know, <laughs> like edit the work and kind of like re-examine it and stuff like that. So it's a tricky thing. And I think it took me a long time to get to the point where I was I don't know if that's true, man. I think I've always been someone who's believed in my art and believed in my output. Um, but I think at times in the past, I've, I was a little delusional about the quality of what I was putting out. I just believed in it so much. And, um, you know, and then just have refined and refined and refined. So, yeah. Hey, I mean, you've got to refine. If you... Everybody puts out crap at some point. If you're not trying, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, Dave, love what you're doing here. Ultimately, wish I was going to school. I could take a class with you, something like that. But ultimately, for anybody who's interested in the comic books, in the music, they want to stay in touch, hear about this um, new project that no one seems to know about yet. Uh, how do they follow you? Facebook, Instagram, website, email? What, what's the best way to stay in touch? Um, my website is davechismmusic.com. Uh, I need to update it more. I don't update it very often. I'm mostly on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is chismdave, my last name and my first name. And then um, on Facebook, my artist page is Dave Chisholm Music and Comics. It's a bit of a mouthful. And then on Instagram, my handle is the Dave Chisholm. And I that's where you get the most, like, the highest proportion of, like, photos of my cats. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love it. I love it. My cats has been in the room with me the whole time we've been talking, just asleep on the chair. So she's in like misty magic land right now. 
That that made me laugh because I was expecting, you know, Instagram. That's where you get the largest portion of my artwork or comic, like, but cats. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. There, there's one last question I ask every every guest, Dave. Got in a million different answers, so there's no right or wrong ones. They're all amazing. Billboard side of the road. You control the content on that billboard, and it's in a very busy area. It's in an area that doesn't even exist because there's all ages, there's all genders, there's all personality types, there's there's everyone, there, there's all religions, all cultures. The whole world's going to basically see this billboard. It might even be big enough that the aliens that are kind of watching down, making sure that we're not like too dangerous even the yeah. aliens are, are going to be able to see this billboard. So you're controlling the content. You know, it can be a phrase. Um, it can be a quote. It can be an image of sorts, whether it's something you've created or seen. Mm -hmm. um, does anything come to mind of what you would do with that power of controlling that large billboard? I mean... I would probably have it say in big letters, understand that other people's pain is the same as your pain. <laughs> mm. Something like that. Cause I think the world needs more empathy and we, we all get so caught up in our own heads and our own experiences and our own annoyances and stuff like that, that we fail to recognize that we are all the same and we all are just trying to like grind it out and find happiness. And when you go to like, when, when you're driving and someone cuts you off, like what's that person going through? Or when you're like, someone's rude to you at Wegmans or at the store or wherever, like look at that person and see like the pain that they're experiencing, you know, um, like my, my, uh, where I used to live, my, I had this neighbor who's this older guy who's a, uh, a, a vet. Like he, he fought in Vietnam and I was hanging out on my porch, like goofing around my wife and, a friend of hers and you know like I have like five jokes that I tell over and over again like I'm I'm that guy and he was like he was like driving away and he had his windows down and I was like hey call us when you get there which is like a stupid thing that like I say to people right and and my wife and her friend laughed and then later on that day I was playing guitar on my porch again and he comes over to me and he's like if you ever He's other, otherwise the sweetest guy ever, right? The nicest guy ever. And he's like, if you ever tell a joke at my expense again, I'll destroy you. He said that to me. And I was like, hey, man, like, I didn't mean any trouble. It's just a stupid joke. I didn't mean any problem, man. He's like, you're nothing to me. You're a pipsqueak. You're like nothing to me. And he was real threatening, like in my face. And I was like, hey, man, like, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you whatever. And I looked at him in that moment. I looked in his eyes and all I could see was like, this dude is carries around so much pain and so much trauma. And I was like, I felt so sad for him in that moment. 
And like, like the next day he wrote a big, nice apology note and like put it on my door and it's, and it's fine. Like, it's fine. But like in that moment, it was like, we all have the same pain. We all carry the same pain around and no one's pain is like more significant and more important than someone else's pain. And like, so that's what my billboard would say is like, understand that your pain is the same as everyone else's pain. And that's it. That level of empathy is important. You know, he might express it differently than you. Yeah. It's the same pain. I, I imagine you put some of that pain into your work, into your art. Yeah. I mean, I mean, pain and joy, I think, you know, equal parts, pain and joy. I suppose yeah. maybe, maybe a little more joy than pain, I suppose. Wow. Well, thank you for telling that story. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks um, for having me, and I appreciate it. We'll need a part two, a part three. We could probably just take any individual work that you've created and just dissect it for an hour. Um, but well, anytime you want, anytime you want to chat again, man. I'm just chilling out at home. You know where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, they, awesome, man. And I can find you on Facebook, Twitter, the website, the right. Instagram, if you love cat photos, whole <laughs> shabam. Right on, man. Well, it's been really nice talking, man. I, I appreciate it. You as well. You as well. Groovaholics, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to give Dave Chisholm the last word with one more musical track. This is a masterpiece. You'll love it. Here is Celebration. Talk to you guys soon.
Thanks for listening to the Rochester Groovecast podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and remember the fee. Share this with a friend and tell them exactly why they should listen. And don't forget to keep it groovy, baby.